go ahead. Welcome to episode 91 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey from March 13th, 2020. We're recording live from our studio in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. And in our studio, we have Jenna Alvarez, Senior Nurse Consultant with AHS, Alex Borneman, Director of Operations with AHS, and John Gailey, who is recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. And remotely from Cape Cod, Lori Rodericks, Director of Clinical Services for AHS. Welcome, everybody. Hello. <laughs> This is exciting. Uh, Lori, are you there? I don't know. Am I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are. We can hear you. <laughs> See, Lori's okay. the only one that's not in the studio, so, yes. and my microphone is way too high. Hang on. Um, so I, I want to uh, thank everybody for joining in. So far, we have 19 people online, so uh, clearly uh, you got the message. Um, we can take up to 300 people, so hopefully uh, we <laughs> won't use that many. Um, and... Uh, so uh, just a couple things. Uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, I think it is important uh, before we get into this uh, to make sure that we take care of ourselves, you know, stay safe. Uh, please uh, don't panic. You know, I mean, this, uh, this is not Ebola. Uh, that's not to minimize uh, the, the consequences of this, but uh, uh, certainly this is not a situation where we need to be panicking um, like, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people seem to be doing right now. So take care of yourself and your family. Uh, just uh, FYI. Um, for your home, you know, prepare for an extended period of time in isolation. Prepare. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, prepare for a loss, uh, like the loss of, of uh, utilities is unlikely, uh, but you do want to stock up on food and supplies uh, without having to go out. Uh, exercise good hand hygiene. Remember to use soap and water because that really is the most effective way to uh, to keep yourself safe. There, we don't you know don't use a hand rub uh, so that you can save it for those times when you can't uh, can't uh, get a hold of that. A couple housekeeping items. This is our first time, and uh, we're just learning how to use the software. We did a test this morning, which worked out very well, uh, but we do apologize ahead of time for any technological glitches that we might have. Um, we are recording this. Uh, we are also doing a video feed so you can see all of our wonderful faces, except for Lori. We couldn't get her in the video, um, probably for good reason. Um, <laughs> oh, leave her alone. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we, uh, so uh, we'll, we'll post these things as soon as we can. We'll probably edit the uh, podcast a little bit. I'm looking at Sue, who's our, our uh, editor here. Uh, she'll want to edit herself out most of the time. Um, Problem is, we're videotaping, so. You're yeah. going to see me talking, and I'll cut out the words. <laughs> um, so it will be recorded. We'll put it out there as quickly as we can. Uh, already our uh, podcast uh, earlier this week on the coronavirus is one of the most listened to podcasts in our history. Uh, hopefully everyone has figured out how to use the app on their smartphones. Clearly 28 of you have. Um, and uh, we'll, I'm sure it's growing by the minute. So um, we are uh, actually just... Uh, I'm just doing a little bit of banter before we get into the details, just to make sure everybody has an opportunity to, to log in. So I'm, I'm actually holding off on the content just a little bit for that reason and, and doing some housekeeping. Uh, if you want to ask a question, um, there are several different ways you can do that. We are monitoring in the studio um, the uh, texting within the app. Uh, you might see that there's a, a place that you can input uh, any messages there. We will be able to see that in the app. We, that's how we can see people logging in, too. Uh, we are also uh, taking... We're taking call or we're taking messages through our website, and that is comments at ASCPodcast.com. Uh, Sue is monitoring that on another screen. 
Uh, and then we do have the call-in capability. I see that a couple of you have been trying to call in. We're not taking calls right now, uh, but uh, I can see uh, uh, when somebody wants to talk and uh, we are going to allow uh, questions as we go through but we're going to obviously want to make sure we get through the content um, and uh, yeah, and, and just make sure everything's everybody's on that needs to be on and right. and giving people a chance to get signed in right and uh, you know be respectful obviously here uh, this will be recorded for YouTube uh, any profanity or anything like that I don't expect that from my audience uh, <laughs> but um, that that yeah. will, uh, I will do my the, best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and calling in from the centers, obviously, you don't have to, we don't need to know where, where you're calling from. That's right. Just That's right. any questions. Uh, so, oh, and if you are going to call in, if you want us to, to uh, want to call in, uh, they do recommend that you use a headphone, if at all possible, just using... Um, I, I think, Lori, that's actually what you're doing. You're just using a regular uh, headphone, correct? Uh, like a regular iPhone, yeah. a headphone type thing? Yeah, e my earpieces that are in my iPhone. Oh, got it. Okay. Uh, so that, that'll show you the type of quality that we have here. We're actually kind of amazed at how well this technology is working, given everything else going on. Um, so with that, we have 37 people uh, online right now. It is growing by the minute. We're about 10 minutes in. We're going to try to keep this to an hour. Uh, the president is scheduled to speak at 3 o'clock. Uh, we do, uh, we've heard that he's going to be declaring a state of emergency. At some point, Alex here, Alex here is going to talk a little bit about what that means. Um, I did want to start by um, just going around and talking uh, with the staff here about some of the things that uh, have been going on, uh, just to give you some ideas about the, uh, the issues and how we're dealing with it. Uh, so I'll start with myself. You know, obviously I've been dealing with pretty much the crisis situation. So we have been working, I mean, literally all of us here in the, in the studio, I've been working with very limited sleep because of everything going on. Uh, I've been dealing with a lot of the bigger issues as uh, Jenna and Lori have been dealing with the infection control issues. Thank you, by the way, both of you have done a bang up job, uh, an incredible job here. And uh, I'm choking up a little bit um, <clears throat> and, and dealing Hi, with Jenna. everything. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and also, I've been trying to predict what the long-term impact is going to be, and we're going to talk about that a little bit when we get into more of the dialogue. But, um, you know, be prepared for some pretty significant economic consequences of this, not only, you know, personally, but also, you know, in your companies. And we're going to talk about some of those tough decisions we're going to have to make. Jenna, why don't you uh, – Jenna has been uh, taking the lead on developing the roadmap. Uh, we're going to give her a much longer time to talk, but why don't you just talk about some of the experiences with your clients in the last couple of days? So we've mostly, I've been mostly helping prepare um, my clients for, you know, screening their patients appropriately, making sure that they have the appropriate protocols in place to um, deal with uh, a potential case or a suspected case of coronavirus, making sure that they're appropriately educating their staff. Um, you know, right now, I think a lot of people feel like the situation, they don't what can you do right now um, other than watch and see what happens? Um, you know, and so any bits of education we can provide our staff, making sure that everyone is knowledgeable about the situation and up to date about the situation, um, I think is really important. And then um, also uh, pre preparing a drill to do for our clients um, because, again, if you have a potential case, you want to make sure that that's not when you're finding out, oh, we don't know where the isolation uh, isolation stuff is. Um, and 
Uh, what was the last thing I've been doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> Preparing all of our forms. And actually, that's something we should point out is that on our website at ASCPodcast.com, we have created an action plan, seven steps that you should be taking immediately. If you have not seen that, we really recommend that you uh, look at that um, uh, either as we're going through here, if you're able to do that, or certainly afterwards. And we I think are, we're going to be updating it, We're going to update it. And um, I, it already is uh, 24, no, I mean, I think it's about 12 hours uh, outdated, so we yeah. can update it. I, I mean, I, we, we literally yesterday were about to send out a protocol to all of our clients, and then the CDC changed their guidance, yeah. <laughs> had to quickly change it. So, um, and, and who knows, um, I know I've been closely monitoring New York State. They haven't released any new guidance yet. I, um, so we were, a lot, we were going off of that for a lot of our guidance in terms of who needs to be quarantined and isolated. Um, and before they were saying that anyone who's a, cate- or a, a level two um, travel notice from the CDC needs to be isolated and, cate- uh, isolated and quarantined. Uh, now that's the whole globe, so I, yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious as to see uh, what they're going to do for all of the people returning from anywhere in the world now, right. um, getting guidance on that. Uh, moving on to Sue, you've been feeling questions from some of our clients. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about some of those and, and particularly mention that issue that we had uh, in Buffalo? Okay, so we've been talking to clients about how to screen their patients when they come in, hopefully pre-procedure phone calls asking the questions, which we'll discuss further, and we have in, in, our, um, in our resources, just asking them the questions, as Jenna said, from where, if they've been traveling and, and if they have any of the uh, signs or symptoms, the cough, uh, the fever, the shortness of breath, um, and just trying to screen those patients before they come in. Um, and then there was an issue with one of our clients where uh, one of the, I believe it was a CRNA, Correct. came in with a high fever. They had recently traveled internationally. and In one of the, uh, the, the, cl- the countries mm-hmm. that had been yeah. in a level three. A level two. Level two, level two. sorry. And um, so they were pretty concerned about that, and we provided the number to call. And it turned out the uh, incubation period, it was, it was a longer incubation period than what they would be concerned about. So they actually, the, the, they tested for flu and found out the, the um, employee had, yeah. did have the flu. So it, again, it doesn't roll, rule out having um, COVID, but they are pretty comfortable that that's what it was. So um, it's just, it points out that when anybody coming in with any type of issues, they just should stay home. You know, you don't want to cause a panic and, and you don't want anybody to get the flu anymore than you want them to get anything else. Right. Alex, uh, just before we went live, you got an email from one of our clients, and uh, you've been feeling a lot of questions from yours, too. Yep. Talk about. Yep. Um, we had a center that actually had to, had to shut down um, due to actually having a number of exposed um, staff members um, that tested positive for COVID. Um, and that actually got through um, a sales rep. So definitely keep in mind that you should be uh, screening all visitors to your center, including staff members, mm-hmm. um, including us if we come to visit. <laughs> well, we're not going to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> nope. nope. But if we were, um, we'd want to see that you're screening us. Um, and for that matter, if you have any um, surveyors, be sure to screen them as well. Can I jump in on that, Alex? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. 
Um, I would recommend that if it is possible to not have sales reps come in, yeah. that would be your better way of, of uh, reacting. Um, there are some circumstances, depending on your surgeries, that you require the sales rep or if your staff are in the process of being trained on something new. Um, however, if it's just a routine checking in, see how you're doing, I, I would advise that you just ask them to come in a time or, you know, send out a word to all your reps that you'd like them to make appointments. Absolutely. That they sometimes just show up. Um, but, you know, I think that's the less you invite in, the, the greater your chance of not being exposed from mm-hmm. unnecessary means. And, Lori, what do you think about uh, medical students and residents and um, students in general? I would do the same. I, uh, obviously, oh, everything you do goes through your um, governing board, but I think this is the time that you don't want to have them in. Uh, you know, not and not just to protect your patients and your staff, but also to protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, colleges are closing, so why would it be okay to have students come into your center if they can't even sleep in their own dorm rooms? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this would be a good time to suspend their activities at your centers but again that's a discussion that has to be done internally um, and your governing body has that uh, final say but as an infection preventionist I would encourage uh, you to stand up for that um, you know for that charge to not have them come in not to have any unnecessarily um, any people in to your center absolutely and we had another um, a couple questions actually about uh, whether uh, centers should be canceling patients with elective surgery, um, especially that have traveled within the states. Um, and as far as we've heard, there is no guidance as far as um, canceling patients for traveling within the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that. So at that point, it comes down to what your facility um, policies are or protocols for COVID. Um, And if you don't have any, uh, now's the time to establish them. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I I would agree with that. I mean, if it's a healthy person coming in that's from out of town um, and if they came via plane, train, or whatever, um, you would screen them like you would someone that's down the street because, you know, odds are they could have gotten it at the grocery store. So I, I would just be diligent, treat all your patients the same, offer that patient the right to reschedule if they should choose to. But obviously if, uh, I mean, we have patients come to us um, from the islands. So they come from Martha's Vineyard. They come from Nantucket and take the steamship uh, authority boats over to the mainland to have their procedures done. So if they don't have any signs and symptoms, you know, why would you turn them away as you wouldn't do with the people in the next town? So again, it's going to be all internal decisions. Um, have the physicians on board as well because you don't want to surprise them with anything that you recommend if they haven't been part of the process of, uh, you know, putting in their two cents. 
Laurie, <clears throat> I'm uh, going to go a little off uh, our script here. Uh, not that we really have a script. <laughs> but uh, we've had a bunch of questions here, and I just want to open this up to everybody. Uh, first of all, one of the questions was, if a patient comes in with 100.5 fever, should we contact DOH? They have no other symptoms and no travel. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think the answer to that is that uh, I don't think we have to contact DOH, but I would send them home. What are uh-huh. your thoughts? Yeah, if it's if it's a, uh, I wouldn't do DOH unless they hit other um, portions right. of the criteria. Um, at that point, I would decide. You know, is this an imminent need for the procedure? Most ASCs, it's not. Um, so I would have to, you know, err on the side of caution and yeah, wait till their fever goes down and hopefully it really truly was just a fever because they, you know had a, a stomach flu or whatever, um, but you're, you're opening your, the rest of your uh, employees, your clients, your uh, practitioners, everybody up for an exposure that you don't want to if you don't have to. Right. By the way, we're up to 56 listeners right now online at this time, total of 62 of time, uh, and it just keeps climbing. So thank you, uh, everybody, and uh, we'll try to make this the best use of your time. Other question is uh, 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 very important. Um, somebody has asked me what website has the information. It is ASCpodcast.com. Uh, if you are um, on the app, I did uh, type it in there so that you can probably click on it right away. Um, and, of course, we'll be posting it on our LinkedIn account. Uh, and uh, Email us if you need any other information at comments at ASCpodcast.com. And maybe explain the, the setup so you've got all the links. We, uh, Jen is going to go into that okay. in a few minutes okay. here. Um, I did want to answer questions as quickly as we mm-hmm. can here because I know that um, that's very important here. Um, uh, if a patient – oh, I got that one already. Um, somebody was asking when we talked about screening, what did we mean? Um, and what – well, to that end, we're talking about the questions that you would ask. Do you want to quickly go through that, Jenna, the two questions that should be asked or as of right now anyway? So as of right – Sorry. As of right now, you're definitely going to continue your screening of um, have you had a fever, cough, um, or shortness of breath, or do you, are you currently having a fever, cough, or shortness of breath? Um, the other thing that um, we're recommending you kind of start thinking about doing is also asking um, if the person who is driving them today uh, – yeah have those symptoms as well um or and then the other thing is before they even get to the center reminding them bring only one person with you um that'll both decrease the number of people in your waiting room and how closely together people are but also decrease um the risk of someone bringing the disease into your surgery center um So definitely asking about symptoms. Um, I think I looked today, and the number one symptom of the disease is fever. I think 88% of cases presented with fever, um, around 68% presented with a dry cough, and about 38% uh, with fatigue. And then it kind of goes down from there, shortness Mm -hmm. of breath, I think was around 18% or something like that. Um, And we're going to talk about perhaps implementing additional steps with regard to monitoring in a few minutes. Yeah, but again, it's flu season, so right. screen like you're screening for the flu still. Um, and then also, you're, as of right now, I would still recommend screening for um, travel 
to any of the affected countries. Right. Um, definitely any of the countries listed as a, uh, listed on the CDC website with a tr level three travel notice. Um, right now, CDC is recommending a two-week quarantine from people returning from those countries. Um, I'm trying to pull it up right now. It changes frequently. Um, right now, definitely uh, China is still on there, Iran, and most of Europe, and you'll have to go onto the CDC website um, that will be on the ASC. It is on the links. A, yeah. a link will be there for you. And um, I do have to update the links, Jenna. There's a couple that just uh, will give more information. I'll take care yep, of that. And South Korea. So <clears throat> China, Iran, most of Europe, South Korea currently have level three travel notices out. And when you go into the information about them on the CDC website, um, they say travelers returning home from specified countries in Europe must stay home, or and other level three, must stay home for 14 days after returning from travel, monitor their health, and practice social distancing. So you want to support the CDC recommendations, do that. Um, level two is the rest of the world. So um, yep. before, uh, yesterday, we were recommending that if you are level two, even though they don't technically say to quarantine um, for a level two, that you also screen for those and exclude those. Until yesterday, Japan was the only one on that list. And then as of yesterday, it's the whole globe. And right now they're saying that travelers returning from um, international travel should monitor and limit interactions with others for 14 days after returning from, from travel. So that's something that um, centers are going to have to make the decision about do you do you exclude um, all patients with international travel? Do you use certain countries? We actually we just got a question go. on that, right? Um, somebody wrote in and said, I thought that since it is now community acquired, that we're not taking travel into consideration. But uh, I guess no, my, you would still ahead. take travel into consideration, but you might also, you know, look at your community. Uh, and a perfect example of that would be, you know, the recent outbreak down in, in New York from New Rochelle. Uh, yeah. Right. New Rochelle that, mm -hmm. you know, the fortunately, unfortunately, they traveled back and forth to the city every day. Um, and uh, that was a huge widespread. And uh, up here in Boston, they had a conference <coughs> where the majority of the cases being, uh, you know, claimed in the uh, Massachusetts area are linked to that specific conference i think it was a mm -hmm. biogen conference so you know that you know you you take that into account but no definitely still the travel is is mm -hmm. imperative but you know not to not to, to belittle anything all of you i believe have been doing this for years ever since we had the ebola outbreak you've been screening your patients with the majority of these questions Although back then we were asking if they've been, you know, to the regions where the Ebola outbreak was, you know, now you're going to conform that to almost any travel mm -hmm. um, that's out of the country and possibly, you know, uh, if you're a frequent traveler, as some people are, depending on their businesses, you know, they can come and contact it just via, you know, the airports and whatnot. So yep. it's it, you take what you're doing and tweak it. But it, you're not going to recreate something that you already have in place. You're just going to expand upon it, and you're going to make it more robust. Um, and you're 
your second line of defense besides your pre-op phone calls, you're going to rely heavily on your uh, front desk admissions people because they're the next step of who's going to screen who's coming through that front door. Um, so they should be very well trained, or you may want to have your nurse up there or your infection preventionist or your pre-op person up there with them because they can stop someone from coming through to your you know, restricted area. If they have a fever, if they were traveling and they forgot to tell you, as many mm -hmm. patients forget their meds or or other things. Oh, I, I forgot. Yeah, I had breakfast. Oh, yeah, I forgot I was just in Iran last week. You know, mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> it happens. It happens. You know, one day runs into 20. But, mm -hmm. but that's, that's another, you know, that's another stop area where you can possibly, you know, avoid, you know, other people. And at that point, yeah, you're going to have them put a mask on if they're hitting your yeses. And mm -hmm. you're going to ask them to, you know, either go to the corner <laughs> um, mm -hmm. or step out into the, the hallway. Or if you have a room that you can bring them into. Whatever you've set up at your center, because every center is different. Not We're not all created equal with the, um, the space and the resources that we have. Yeah, you have to so, come up with your own with, with your own answer. Um, and we do have another question. Linda had written in that um, they had an anesthesiologist who said their hospital is having them reuse their face masks for multiple cases, not just the N95, because all masks are on allocation and wanted to know our thoughts on that. Okay. Um, from <laughs> and an we've had different variations on this question. Well, and, and also we had somebody ask about, um, at, at Lori, we had somebody, one of our clients, remember, asked about reusing uh, gowns, too. So you might mm -hmm. want to talk about both yeah, of those. Yeah, the whole thing. The, the problem with reusing your PPE is that you are now putting um, from one patient to the next patient to the next patient to the next patient. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Your masks theoretically have, you know, a lifetime as in, uh, you know, after after so many, uh, you know, 20 minutes, whatever, you know, you could read their packages, you know, they get moist. So now they're not really protecting you anymore. They're not necessarily protecting the people, you know, that you're caring for, but to have them come up and down and to reuse them is poor practice. Do we do it? Of course, I, I can't go into any center, and I won't say that I'm not... Uh, also, uh, uh, you know, an offender that for years we took our mask down, went out, met the next patient, put it up, brought them in the room. You know, is it good practice? No. Is it best practice? No. But if it's all you have, it's all you have. Um, you know, don't not buy or put yourself out there to be in line to get things because you don't have them today. But you know, you have to be really smart about it. Uh, and to reuse gowns, in my opinion, is very poor practice because that's, a, you know, that that's where you're covered. You know, if you just did a case and you had, you don't know what might have splashed on there. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. a lot of it is airborne. And this is an airborne virus. So it, it's it's really, you have to... That's going to be a, a personal decision for your facility, uh, you know, uh, on a on a legal type situation or a professional infection situation. The best answer is no, don't do that. Mm -hmm. But 
what you know what can you do and and the the question about the gowns John um, I know one of your clients asked about cloth gowns having them washed at a you know a facility where you get your scrubs and whatnot washed and brought them back in and then you you, you yourselves at your center wrap them and sterilize them um, I haven't had a chance to really research that but the reason we went away from the cloth gowns was because they were no longer um, uh, efficient in protecting the person that's wearing them right because of you know the impermeability or lack thereof um, so that would be something you'd have to look at you'd have to look at your sterilization uh, method um, you'd have to look at your products that you're used to wrap are you know are they all up to textiles since we've gotten away from that for years and again, I, I haven't really researched it, but that's just right off the top of my head. That's a lot you're going to have to do to make yeah. sure that you can back your decision and that you weren't putting people at risk. Right, and of course, from a legal standpoint, if uh, anything were to happen, and and they and not to mention, by the way, uh, our patients are going to be watching us, and if they see us uh, practicing poor, you know, uh, technique, uh, you can pretty much guarantee they're going to be contacting the Department of Health, which will force us then to, um, you know, deal with it. So just be well aware of that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, a few minutes. We did get a question. What if a doctor is returning from Belize? We did double check and Belize is not on the list. I'm not seeing, it's saying that they don't have cases as of like a week ago. I don't know if you. Yeah. Yeah, I can try to. I'm actually looking at a the website, a website that was refreshed this morning. No, they're not necessarily there. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that, you know, the person's not mm -hmm. an issue. You're going to, I don't know if you're going to be able to go country to country. Yeah. I, I, that, that would drive you guys crazy. Um, you know, but I think when you make the, whatever you decide would have to be across the board. Um, and again, you would just watch them or anybody for any signs and symptoms. You're going to screen your doctors, your staff, whatever. You know, however you decide to do it. Would this uh, be a good time for temperature monitoring, Lori? Uh, you know, it could. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not going to hurt. I think a lot of the um, healthcare agencies or whatnot are being encouraged to do that. Um, I think as a person at home, to take your temperature every day would be as if I wanted to weigh myself every day. I'll drive <laughs> myself crazy. Um, but... But in the healthcare environment, yeah, it, it certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, there's there's no um, issue with that because it, since that's one of the top, you know, the number one indicator, you know. But again, does the temperature mean you have it? No, you know. Then you would do the rest of your questions. Um, so um, it, we are uh, thirty six minutes in. Um, uh, so I'm going to have to skip through some things. We're going to we're going to obviously have to have another episode at some point. And I'm going to try to address some of the major things. I'm going to skip the economic issues right now. Uh, I, I did have a section on uh, Joint Commission and Triple HC. Um, Laura, you and I have uh, we're both Triple HC surveyors. We uh, have been told um, that they are going to continue survey activity, including deemed status survey activity. However, this is a daily 
issue. And our concern uh, is, of course, for the health of our surveyors as well as our organizations that might be uh, subject to a survey. So uh, I, I, I think it's fair to say that the situation is very fluid there. They are extending uh, your deem status or your um, AAAC accreditation if they're not able to get out there in the meantime. I guess that stands to reason that would happen. I, I have to admit, I haven't gotten any communication from Joint Commission, um, but on the other hand, I only reached out to them once. Uh, we will try to keep you up to date on that and perhaps at the next episode. I have invited both of them to uh, uh, to talk to us on the podcast and we'll see if that can actually happen. Yeah. Do you have any other observations, uh, Lori, on that one? I know you've been a little bit more on the, on the emails than um, I have about that. Yeah, well, I know that I know that uh, I can only speak for AAAHC. Um, I know that they're um, asking me if I'm able to do surveys uh, as of today. So <laughs> they're still uh, putting them out there. <laughs> and that's deemed status versus non-deemed non status. So, it, you know, they're, they're setting up surveyors to do all, all walks of surveys yeah. still. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, the coronavirus is not the time that we can sit back and say, whew, they're not coming. That's right. Uh, no. Obviously, they are. Well, so and... and still, Still be alert. <laughs> That's right. And and they're going to be focusing very heavily on infection control. And they have stated, as we've mentioned a couple times, if you've got an infection control issue that they find during a survey, you you they're not going to fool around. It's going to be immediate jeopardy, um, especially if it's obviously severe. And if you have been cited within the last three years for infection control issues, and especially if you have been cited at a condition, or at, I'm sorry, at a uh, uh, immediate jeopardy level, uh, expect DOH to be out there very soon, or whatever your state organization is. Yeah. Uh, Jen, let's uh, let's move on uh, to uh, the action plan. On our website at ASCPodcast.com, uh, we have created a seven-step uh, list of things that need to be done immediately in your organization that's meant to be a kind of a, a simple step-by-step -step, uh, thing. Just follow the links right on the, the cover page. I've tried to make it as obvious as possible how to get into it. I think it actually says link to action plan now. Uh, so please review that if you're online and have that in front of you. Uh, Jenna is going to quickly go through each of those line items and explain what we've given you. Um, they will change. She's going to speak to what's on the website as we speak, but I will be updating that um, sometime this mm -hmm. evening uh, with up-to-date information. So go ahead, Jen. So Definitely check the CDC website. Um, there's the information for healthcare providers page, and then there's a bunch of sub pages from there. Um, I would definitely stay up to date with the most recent um, criteria for testing. Um, stay up to date with the latest infection control uh, changes. I, I know it changed on Tuesday of this week, I believe. They um, relaxed the rules a little bit about using N95s and said you can use an N95 or a, or a normal uh, surgical mask um, in certain conditions, and also um, gave some guidance as to how to prioritize more for hospitals who needs a uh, negative air pressure room for isolation. Um, so, To that know, point, too, Jenna, we did have a question earlier this week, the difference between a uh, surgical mask and a, uh, what was the other term? A procedure a mask. Procedure that was mask. something Lori looked into. Yeah, um, they have different levels, level one, level two, level three. Um, the level one obviously has the least amount of protection for anybody. The level three is the higher one. The level two is, is a standard protect protection. Um, in going uh, back and forth, I, I think, again, it's a, you know, half of one and the other half of the other. Um, 
as long as you're wearing them correctly and they're they're uh, fitted to your face, um, a two or a three is okay. A three is most protective, especially with fluid type um, exposure. So if you have uh, a lot of uh, shoulder cases, you know, arthroscopies, if you do, if you're doing a lot of irrigation, depending on the procedures that you're doing, then you know if you could get the threes, that's great. Um, if you're doing basic cases where exposure is minimal and whatnot, then it, then twos are fine. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, uh, one of your one of the um, sites I was going back and forth with, um, you know, said that you know AORN recommends you know says it's okay to wear the um, ear loop masks, but again, you want to make sure that it fits you well. Um, you know, a level two ear loop mask. Um, you know, so un unfortunately, we're having difficulty getting masks, um, as you all know. Uh, actually, today I saw a family go by, they were wearing masks and um, gloves in their car um, on the street, which I thought was kind of exciting. Um, I was like, well, there they go, there's our masks. But, but you know, unfortunately, you, you you know, our hands are tied right now. We, we have to do what, what we can do with mm -hmm. what we have. Um, but, the, but the difference kind of is, is that it's the filtration. You know, there's, there's also high filtration. You know, laser masks have a higher filtration than an actual mask. It's, you know, so it, you, you can drive yourself crazy. You just want a mask that's going to protect you, that's going to be fitted well. Um, you know, one of the things I, I presume they're still telling people when you're in surgery, especially if you are at the surgical field, um, if you do cough or sneeze, don't turn your head because it comes out the side of your mask. You know, oh. it sounds mm -hmm. rude to be forward facing. Um, if you can step back, that'd be great. But, you know, again, when we turn our heads and we have that gap in our mask, you know, it's going somewhere. Mm hmm Makes sense. You know, so so that sort of thing, but yeah, there's not a big big difference. Just just look what's out there, and then your your centers will decide what is best for you, and then of course it's what you can get. Yeah, right thank now. you. Um, trying to keep going on uh, number one there. Okay, <laughs> so, so, so the CDC website. Check your state um, Department of Health or. Uh, whatever it's called in your state um, website. I know... And we have put links to uh, the major websites. They're not in this action plan, but on the main page of the the, um, um, the surger, of uh, the ASCPodcast.com, and we'll keep trying to update that. And by the way, thank you for everybody that has been helping us out. If there are links that you want on that page, please send them to us. We'll try to update them as we can. With 50 states, we've been able... What we've actually done is we focused on uh, the states with the biggest population, and not to minimize everybody else's state, and I apologize about that. Um, I did want to um, welcome also... Uh, um, I'm sorry. Somebody. Uh, yeah, Beth LeBoyer from uh, California um, uh, is, was finally able to get on, I, and I know she invited everybody, in, invited everybody from her state, so I know we got a heavy uh, California and New York uh, um, attendance here. So we'll, we'll you know, try to answer any questions that are specific to those states, uh, and we'll try to get those links up on the website. I believe they are there already, but keep going, Jen. And then also your, your local health of local Department of Health or Health Department, um, make sure that you're keeping up to date with their guidance as well. So CDC, um, state, and local health departments. Those are like the three key ones. 
World Health Organization also has some great resources up there. Um, and as we find new resources for you, we will definitely share. Um, I think now is the time, you know, one of the CDC recommendations is to, you know, uh, during a pandemic is to, you know, coordinate with other people, meet, uh, you know, meet with key collaborators. And I think now it's the time that the ASC industry in the healthcare industry in general has to just come together and provide whatever help. And when someone experiences something and learns from it, share that knowledge with the um, the rest of the industry. And I know there's been some great conversations both with the New York State um, uh, members of the New York State Association. There's been some great conversations on the Ask a Connect website. So, um, and definitely we will provide anything that anyone sends us. Right. Um, if you guys have a better way of doing it, we definitely, I definitely am always on Ask a Connect. I'm always on, you know, um, the other websites that have, you know, to see what other people are, are doing. And we probably should put links to our email addresses on the website, too. It's a funny thing. I've just never bothered to Thanks. do that, but we'll put that up there, too. And we <laughs> I, might regret I just that. Moved. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We might regret that one. Um, so next is, um, is keeping your... Uh, or making sure that your employees uh, remember to stay home if they're sick or if they have flu-like symptoms. Um, that's a good practice to have during flu season in general. Um, like we said, we had a, a scare this week because someone showed up to work with a fever and a cold. Uh, and Well, they showed up to work with the flu. So um, make sure that we're reminding staff to be aware um, and to be responsible. Um, yeah, with with that, Jenna, you know, I it's it's sometimes very difficult, you know, staffing wise. As you all know, we've all been there. Mm -hmm. um, you might want to um, encourage your centers or your center leadership to get a like a phone tree, because if somebody um, can't make it to work, maybe they can help you, or you as the manager, um, find someone to cover for them, or another way you know just to talk with each other and stuff because that's that's how we're going to get through this together mm -hmm. this, this is definitely a team um atmosphere um and it, it's going to end but it, it will um take everybody's input and and working together to to help so that might be something because you know staffing is tough and then you can't do your cases if you don't have your staff um, so next is if you do have employees that have traveled to any of the affected areas to encourage them to follow CDC guidelines and um, self-quarantine, um, you're going to have to make up decisions again about people. I mean, definitely the level, th level three travel notices follow the CDC guidelines. Um, you guys are going to have to make the decision what to do in your center regarding travel from other places. Um, the other thing to consider is, because um, from looking at how it spread in China, a lot of uh, the spread was in families because of the close contact. Um, so if the employees have family members that are either, you know, uh, infected or suspected to be infected um, to self-quarantine. Um, Jenna? Sorry, but that kind of goes to a question mm -hmm. that we have. For employees we send home due to illness, specifically related to COVID symptoms, what guidelines can we give them so we limit exposure within the community and their families? So, I mean, we want them to 
quarantine, I guess, but we also maybe try not to <laughs> be too spend put some space between their families if they especially if they are living with their elderly relatives. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I would follow again your state and your and the CDC guidelines. I know. Um, New York State had some very specific, especially for people who had traveled, um, levels of quarantine. Um, and then the CDC website definitely has um, some great information about quarantining themselves. I mean, I would definitely avoid um, as much as you can um, spreading it within your family. But I, that's going to be up to um, them. And I... And I don't want, I, I know we're trying we're to go down the list, but we do, I want to cover yeah. the questions because this is something we'd talked about before too. Um, see, so Janet says that their local school district is planning on closing and the employees that have young children will have to stay home to care for them. This will make a dent in our staffing. And I know we that's also were talking before about places where people rely on public transportation if that's ever shut down. So it's probably important to start thinking about identifying people in your center what would be the effect if either public transportation is closed down, if people with young kids, you know, the schools are closed and, and how you would manage that? I know, because places where the schools haven't closed, I know a lot of my friends who are parents, um, the school districts, have, school districts have reached out to say, are you prepared if we mm -hmm. do have to shut down? Yes. So um, I think that's something that could happen in the future and that um, centers should get prepared for. Um, and then, like we said, now I know as of today, they had made an announcement for New York City, at least, that they that the rumors about the MTA shutting down are false and mm -hmm. that they plan to keep it open. Um, and I believe there's also a debate, or again, this is New York and New York City, that they're, the state has basically said that even if the MTA shuts down, they might override them, correct? That, that's kind of what the, the message from the governor's mm -hmm. office said today. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that plays <clears throat> out. And again, we mm -hmm. just don't know what's going to happen two days from now, let alone two weeks from now. Right. Yeah, so even conducting a drill or thinking if you're starting to lose patients because people not wanting to leave the house, maybe just then talk through with, with your staff, okay, if we say we do have to cut back, who are the people we can depend on, though, to still be here no matter... And what Alex, happens. that was something that they talked about today. Yeah, yeah. In New York, um, at the New York State, um, we, we had a little conference call before this, and um, they were talking a bit about the possibility of um, basically bringing people out of retirement or maybe travel nurses um, from other states, waiving some of those processes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean... In terms of ASCs, I think we're we're lower on the totem pole than a lot of the <laughs> hospitals. Um, Definitely. But you know, those may be options for us in the future. Uh, one of our uh, listeners just stated that the New York City uh, mayor said MPA and schools will remain open. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And John, this one's probably for you. Yeah. Um, saying that you mentioned the AAAHC is doing deemed status survey still. Does that include new developments, or do they have? or have they suspended them? So I did speak to HHC a couple days ago, and, and those are still continuing. And by the way, the states have been told uh, to continue doing uh, pre-opening surveys. It is important that we continue to try to keep the, um, you know, providing services, obviously, and making sure we have uh, the resources available in the future. Uh, the, the challenge that we're going to have, I think, is going to be our resources. Like in New York State right now, 
um, the uh, many of the surveyors have been told not, uh, to work from home. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if at some point they're going to limit that. So I, I, I'm, I'm concerned that whereas they might not uh, require it or might allow it to happen, whether the surveyors are, number one, going to be available to do it, and number two, mm -hmm. are willing to do it is another issue. Should we? And just to talk oh, to Janet's comment there. Yeah, um, good point. That's a very good point. And I... Well, did you see Janet's follow-up question? Oh. Saying, will, will travel nurses put us <laughs> yeah, at higher that's, exposure risk? that's what I mean. Risk? Yeah. yeah. I want to make sure everybody yeah. sees Yeah, nurses. that is yeah. absolutely. That is. Um, Thank you, Janet, by the way. And, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. And again, that that is not a, you know, that is not current um, in terms of being open um, and allowing travel nurses in without the proper procedures. Um, that is just something that might be coming down the pike but mm -hmm. it might be just people from retirement they might take that into account and yeah. to that end uh, sherry uh um, asked are there any laws in place for employers to pay employees affected mm -hmm. by the school closures and daycare closures i am not aware of any of course you'll have to check your state laws but of course this could put a huge damper on uh on small businesses i, I mean and hopefully um, maybe some of these emergency you know, when they're they're declaring states of emergency or something, maybe some financial help will come because it's it's going to put a lot of people in a difficult position. Right, and and somebody did comment here in our ASC. They informed us that the federal and state has made exceptions to the rule for people who who have been put on leave, uh, and they'll allow unemployment. I assume okay, that that, that is autom that is going to be one of the first things that'll happen. Mm -hmm. Is that you'll uh, if you do have to lay off employees, mm -hmm. um, that uh, they will be eligible for unemployment. Hopefully, they'll be eligible without a waiting period yeah. um, uh, for that. I mean, it, of course, yeah. unemployment pay isn't as much as what they're earning, but at least it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, when it, when it comes to the planning uh, of uh, might maybe not having staff due to school closures and whatnot, this might be an opportunity to look at your schedules and see if you can consolidate, um, you know, from three rooms to two rooms, five rooms to four rooms, something like that, um, to, to plan ahead, thinking that perhaps you won't have as much staff or you know, running to 4.30 or 5 instead of 3.30 or 4, if that's doable, because maybe you could have staff that can do like a swing shift because mm -hmm. uh, they can share, you know, uh, the moms can share with the dads, you know, mm -hmm. I can work till 12, you can pick up at 12, you know, that sort of thing. You know, yes. now is your time to be creative with your, with your staffing mm -hmm. um, and definitely get the list of those that have no qualms about coming in you know parents mm -hmm. with teenagers might be fine or yeah. um, some of us uh, more senior uh, people that have no one at home or you know and then there's those of uh, those workers that have you know elder parents at home that need to be considered you know just as important as those with younger children so you know it's definitely a, a lot of brainstorming and outside the box thinking you know mm -hmm. uh, do, do that risk assessment. Your risk assessments also involves your internal uh, operations. It's mm -hmm. not just what's happening outside, but it's what's happening inside too. And and um, this is a, a good opportunity to plan. And um, yeah. you know, and whether having longer hours, sorry, mm -hmm. if having longer hours, if they could, you know, they could kind of thin out the crowd so if they could still see patients, although they'd have to stay open later, so I'm not sure how that would work financially, but maybe then you have fewer patients in at a time, they can be spread a little bit more out, maybe cleaning in between times, I'm not sure, but it might be 
It might be a lot of, like you said, just being creative. Yeah. And I think and I th- hopefully it doesn't happen. <laughs> I think one of the, the key things is keeping an open communication between, you know, your center and your staff and your center and your your medical staff, um, making sure that if there are any cases of um, COVID-19 diagnosed, you know, either the, me- the staff member themselves or someone in their close family, you know, who lives with them, um, that you're aware of that. Um, and then you'll have, to, I mean, obviously if they have it, they need to quarantine for two weeks. Um, with the family members, you're going to have to go with either your state or local guidance or, you know, make the decision. Lori, do you have a? I did want to interject here. We're at an hour. We were only planning on 45 minutes. We are going to keep going, by the way. Thank you for everybody. We're still at 56 listeners that are live, and we've had a total of 100 uh, log in. So obviously uh, I'm assuming everybody is um, <laughs> uh, it, I'm assuming everybody still wants to, us to continue. We'll try to get through our contact. We do want to take uh, listener questions. This is extremely important. That is what's taking time, and we'll, we'll schedule another one. But go ahead, Lori. Okay, what do you want me to go ahead with? Oh, I was asking, <laughs> Just talk. Um, what, do you, what do you recommend, as it, as it spreads in the community, if they have a family member but the employee themselves isn't, um, isn't diagnosed? Signs and symptoms. Yeah. Um, then you know what? Of course, that's going to become an internal decision. Um, we would have to think, you know, they're more apt to potentially be a carrier, although we don't know if you can just get it uh, that way or if it has to be a live person giving it to you. Um, I don't think so. I think it could just be coming in contact. Um, that's, you know, you might have to. Uh, Maybe delegate that person to do your pre-op screening um, if they're not coming in contact with other staff members or patients. Hey, you know, I, that's a that's a tough one, Jenna. And you know, I'm kind of glad I don't have to make that decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but at the same token, it is something for uh, all centers to think about um, because eventually it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Again, there's no there's no uh, script on that yet, um, because when you think about if a ho- if that happens to our major hospitals and healthcare systems, no one's going to be working. Yeah. Right. You know that's just the, the the nuts and bolts because they're coming in contact with the patients. Never mind people that they're living with. Yeah, and we did put up a letter uh, as a te- to use as a template on the the website to send out to employees or to use as an email, however you want to send it out, or do a, you know, um, uh, email, uh, right. a, a, a little huddle or something. Right. Um, just make sure that you're communicating with your staff and also let them know what you're doing to protect them. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's key. Why don't you go on to number three, Jenna? Number three is, <laughs> sorry, I f- we kind of talked about <laughs> no, this no. earlier, right. is the mm-hmm. screening mm-hmm. patients before services <clears throat> are provided. So this is really a time when you want to emphasize the importance of pre-op phone calls and pre-op screening, um, canceling patients if there's a concern that they either have, you know, uh, coronavirus or um, the flu, because um, you don't want the flu spreading at your surgery center either. Um and then, and you've posted a, a generic uh, protocol. Yep, we did template. a generic. Um, I wrote that before level two and 
involved the whole world, so <laughs> we might be updating that. Um, I, I think that's really up to you guys what you decide, as we talked about earlier, as to what who, who you're going to accept and who you're not. And we do um, have specific uh, protocols uh, for some of the states. Uh, the New York one is up there. I, I haven't gotten the other ones up there yet, but I'll get the yeah, other Yeah, the ones. only thing is the New York one now is kind of outdated. It's outdated, okay. Um, and there is a decision tree, too. There is a decision tree. Again, use it as a template. Make decisions about what, what your criteria is going to be, um, and then update it. And, and we'll be updating it as we see new guidance. Um, we did get another question about where to find this. I, uh, as people join, they the probably haven't heard protocol. us. So a couple things, uh, the, uh, asking about where the generic protocol is, go to ASCpodcast.com and follow the link for the action plan. It's right on the, the web page, right center of the page there. Just click on that, and you'll go right into it. And <coughs> keep an eye on it because we will be updating it. Uh, as we go along, again, uh, feel free to put uh, text message. I'm sorry, to text us within the app. Email us at comments at ASCpodcast.com. I am monitoring that. Um, I, by the way, I've been getting a lot of phone calls while I'm on the line. Um, I, I hope they're not people trying to call in because <laughs> we don't have that capability. But uh, they're probably our clients with questions. Um, but uh, that is not something we can do. We're going to be taking questions in a, in a bit. So if you do want to call in, uh, there is a link on your app that says, "What does it say?" It says, "I think it, I, I think it, it was says, just a little phone shape." Right, and what does it say? It says something like uh, um, caller number. Call in, or yeah. Okay. I, I think there's. We actually don't familiar. have the app running on any of ours, so. Um, um, so let me just get through yeah. our thing real quick. <laughs> um, our next is to make sure you're posting signs and alerts. Um, we had a couple. We have a couple up on our site. Um, I mostly stole them from New York State and New York City. Um, and tried to make some generic ones for states that didn't have signs, um, but, but look to your Department of Health website or your local health department website. They might have things state-specific. Um, definitely signs posted saying um, if you have any of these symptoms, let us know. Um, and that goes for both patients and uh uh, visitors, and then also um, there's some nice s signs about stopping the spread of germs and um, hand hygiene, cover your cough type oh. signs. Hey, I'm going to jump in with a flight of idea because that's what I do. <laughs> um, the other thing that um, CMS had put out a, a little while ago is that they want you to get your, um, you know, exposure, not your exposure co uh, control plan, but your infectious disease plan or your, um, you know, what, whatever you name your plan um, as part of your emergency preparedness as well. Oh, so, yeah. you know, just thinking off the top of my head, that's something you have want to consider, especially if you are a center that's technically at risk, you know, of possibly having a surprise visit or that's planning to have Medicare deemed status surveys. Um, that might be something that they look for. So um, and we, can we post. all have a, a policy regarding, you know, do we accept communicable diseases, blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you just add it into that and then just make sure you refer to it in your emergency preparedness or you just cut and paste it into your emergency preparedness because, unfortunately, this is now considered an emergency situation that we have to be prepared for. Um, so don't make a new one for your emergency plan. Take what you have, 
make sure it meets the criteria now with this new um, pandemic that's out there. Um, so just add to your existing and then, you know, use the, use the same template into the um, emergency preparedness so that it's, you know, it's Al one in the same. Alex, I know you're monitoring the president's speech, which I be believe has just begun, right? But uh, can you talk a little bit? I, I think what we do is we're, we're making some changes to our recommended uh, emergency plan. I know the emergency plan is quite big. Uh, do we have we made change? I, there's two issues here. One is the the pandemic policy, and the second is um, Emerge the emerging. We have an emerging infectious disease policy, which we kind of tried to make as generic as possible to right. fit both um, COVID nineteen, but also you know if there's another yeah, there, Ebola outbreak, yeah, um, future ones, or if there's some you know whatever comes in the future. Um, so and we'll post both of those policies yep. and maybe some recommendations because I know one of the things that we found is that the disaster preparedness plans of a lot of centers are uh, woefully uh, inadequate yes. or have been done so generically or with uh, like with a hospital in, in, in plan. So uh, uh, we can't give you everything on that because it's it way too much to, to, to put out there, but we can definitely help you with the, this portion. And we'll post that when we can. But definitely add, if you don't have it on your um, hazard vulnerability yes. assessment, um, definitely add pandemic if you don't already have what, it and and emerging infectious disease. Let's post uh, an HVA with an example of that. Do we have a couple, Alex, that we can put up there? Yeah. Just like an example yeah, filled out. It'll be in an Excel format so that you can modify it for, for your own organization. Um, okay, so... We actually, that actually hit number five on my list about look, looking at your infection control policies <laughs> and your We're disaster plans, updating your policies if needed. Um, next is, and this isn't a requirement, this is a recommendation, um, performing a mock drill um, for COVID-19. We have a drill kit up of, with some... Um, kind of more of a tabletop to do, though you probably... It, it probably wouldn't hurt um, to kind of go through what, how you would isolate the patient, where you would isolate the patient, how would the staff put on PPE properly. Um, again, we don't really want to waste PPE right now, mm -hmm. but um, at least talk through it. Um, and to that point, having maybe the person who first admits the patient in or, or whether admitted or but brings them into the center, try to really limit the amount of people that have to have contact. I know that's some of the things that we've seen. I think we put in the protocol is, mm -hmm. you know, um, as much as possible, have the same staff members um, providing care throughout so that you're mm -hmm. limiting the number of staff that are exposed awesome. to that person um, while you have them in your center. Mm -hmm. um, so drill is next. And then uh, last is little self-serving to John, but <laughs> listening to our podcast yeah, for updates. <laughs> we will keep you up to date. We're going to do as many episodes as we have to here, um, and it is free. Please pass that on. I know uh, some people are trying to capitalize on this. We're not going to do that. Uh, uh, we definitely want to get this word out there, and I, we hope this is beneficial to everybody. Uh, so watch the website. We're going to go a little bit off of our script, everyone, uh, just because we are at a, an hour and seven minutes, and I think I wanted to get questions in. If we don't get questions, We'll continue with the script, but for now, if anybody does want to call in, um, please hit that call-in button. Thank you, Giovanna, for telling us how to do that. Mm -hmm. I think there is a call-in button on, on your screen. In the meantime, we did get a question just a few seconds ago. Can you speak to limiting patients 60-plus, especially 
those scheduled for pain procedures or GI endoscopy since the el uh, elderly in a high-risk category? Laurie, we actually talked about this earlier because one of my centers is actually has actually talked about um, talking to their physicians about uh, looking at the your patients with comorbidities that would put them at higher risk and limiting those cases for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and you don't you don't want a patient to come back at you for age discrimination. It's not just employees that can say that. I'm sure. Um, but I agree with Jenna. If you have a healthy 70-year-old with no um, outstanding um, processes in place, then why wouldn't you do them? You could have a 50-year-old that has emphysema and heart disease. You, you know what I mean? So I think putting a number, we know it's in most of the cases are 50 and above. I don't think anyone has been diagnosed under the age of 50, but uh, that would put the majority of your GI and your cataract centers out of business if you didn't accept patients above a certain age. Mm. Um, so that would be a discussion to have with your medical director and your um, anesthesia providers to uh, see what the patient criteria, if you're going to change the patient criteria selection now. Um, but I really don't think you can use age as that except obviously with uh, pediatric patients. Um, that some centers are not prepared for because of the, the lack of the number of pediatric uh, cases that they see, and it wouldn't be uh, safe practice for them. But we have a phone that, call, right? Yeah, uh, we have uh, Giovanna. Yeah, I believe uh, this Giovanna. is Giovanna, correct? Giovanna, correct. And an echo, 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 echo. Giovanna, are you there? Giovanna, are you there? Hmm. I'm going to have to take her offline because yeah, we're getting an echo. You know, just while we're waiting, I wanted to mention we appreciate all these questions. It's great to hear what people are wondering and being able to answer something specifically. Um, and it makes me think just with our regular podcast, even though it wouldn't, it's not live, it's not, you know, immediate questions. But remember, you can also send in questions for that. Um, and, you know, we, we'll get to them and we'll get an idea of what people want to hear about. Uh, moving on to some more questions, we did have uh, somebody ask, uh, "Can you put? A, can you add a tabletop exercise template or guidance for conducting one on the website?" I believe we have, right? That, the drill kit is is. I'm sorry, the drill kit is probably more of a table. T you, you could either do it as a live drill or a tabletop. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is labeled as a um, drill kit, but it is a table. It's focused on a tabletop. Right. However you do it, I would run your front desk through the process. Uh, Maybe multiple times with multiple mm -hmm. different different scenarios. Yeah. Scenarios, exactly. Because the other thing, this one is for a patient, but oh, sorry, Lori. This is no, with a patient, but you might also want to run through a scenario, uh, for an employee or a, a rep. Mm. Yeah. We do have a listener on the line. It's Giovanna, a friend of mine, I believe. Giovanna, welcome. Can you hear us, Giovanna? Okay. Uh, why don't we continue? Uh, can you advise where the drill kit is on the website? Again, ASCPodcast.com. Follow the link. Oh, I'm sorry. One, one of the things that I would recommend with your tabletop drill or your drill kit or whatever is to actually have a drill kit. Yeah. Have a little, I don't care if it's it's a tackle box or something that will, but have extra mass gloves, a thermometer. Um, you know, hand sanitizer in it, and maybe one 
one gown, you know, or, or whatnot. So I mean, it's not like you have to gown yeah. when they're at their front desk, but but if you have something in place so that though that person at the desk has something to go to that um, is always going to be in the same spot every time, it's just. Uh, I, uh, I, we have somebody that is online that I want to ask a question. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. I thought it was Giovanna, but um, I think they have similar usernames. Yeah, you're live. Ariel. Ariel. Is it is it Ariel? Hello. Okay, hmm. I don't know. May what's not be working there. correctly. Okay, um, and somebody wanted to know where that drill is. So it's it's right in that in the. in the kit so if you go to ascpodcast.com there is a click here for action plan go into that i'll be honest i i walked past it or i uh, had trouble finding it the first time yeah. but you added the click here now <laughs> sign so now it looks kind of like it might just be a, a, a title a title above the thing it says but click here and then under number f six and it's a very large print Right. Look for that. It's one of the top lines. I don't know how much more obvious I, Num can make it. I don't know, but I totally. <laughs> Sue and I, I both did have the same thing. <laughs> but and then when you go in there, there will be a one of the lines is is drill kit. It does. It's uh, item number f uh, six. Perform a mock drill for COVID nineteen. And just an update from Trump's speech. Um, he is late for it, okay. so. Uh, the podium is currently empty. Okay. <laughs> so no worries. We'll try to update you as soon as we hear. Um, uh, did I get all the questions? Oh, uh, somebody, uh, Janet, um, Janet uh, uh, said we're currently limiting all patients to bring only one uh, person, and we prefer that to be the driver. Uh, most of our patients are happy to comply. Yes, I yeah, think that's a good idea. Good. That's great, Janet. And you know what? I would do that forever. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, okay. Uh, again, we're taking listener questions. Uh, just click on the <laughs> click on the call-in button. I, there's uh, yeah. four slots there, or three slots there that are available. Uh, just yeah, click on any number, of them. Number two, number three, and number right. Yeah. Whoop! And there we go. Let's see if but we. I don't know if it's not working. Okay, and you're live. Can you hear us? Ariel Puchada? I, I'm not sure who Ariel this is. Ariel Puchada? I'm not sure who this Okay. I think we're at least getting feedback from her. I think, yeah, yeah maybe that okay. they need it. I think we're at least getting feedback. Um, I think, yeah. yeah, maybe that they need it. Okay, well, I'm going to have to cut them off because we're getting too much feedback yeah, there. But sorry. Okay. And, and but if just type in your, if you have a question. question. Yeah, right. send us in the question. We're sorry about that. I'm having a hard time disconnecting. I don't know what's happening there. Okay, there we go. Um, thank you. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you, Christina. Um, hi, Eric. Sorry, we couldn't hear. Okay. Uh, any other questions? Uh, we're trying to follow everything that's coming in. Uh, while we're waiting for uh, somebody to call in or uh, send us a question, and we'll monitor it constantly, why don't we move on? Lori, uh, one of the things that you and I talked about is issues related to the center such as social oh, no, distancing and and isolation why don't you and jenna talk a little bit about uh about ways that we can minimize if we are going to choose to uh um uh, you know allow patients to continue coming uh what we should be doing there in order to minimize the risks well the the having the the center that's having just the one escort one person escort is perfect 
that that'll cut down a lot um, of activity in your waiting area. And unfortunately, the waiting area is really kind of tough, depending on the size of your center. Um, if it's at all possible, maybe you could uh, push the chairs a little further apart um, or uh, try to reconfigure um, a better, better way to um, organize there because, you know, that six feet from each other is, is not always realistic, um, especially in, if you have a very busy center, and, and many of you do. Um, that's that's kind of uh, a tough thing. Again, the isolation is based on if you think someone has, um, you know, some of the symptoms or answers some of your, your questions uh, in a yes response, um, then you may want to make sure you have an area that you can bring them to to continue the process of, of potentially admitting or sending home. Um, some some uh, places are uh, encouraging uh, the rides to go and wait in their car. Um, I don't know how feasible that is. It certainly won't be feasible if you're in a in an area that does public transportation. Um, but you know, it's just kind of stuff like that that um, is one way to to look at it. Or if you are in a larger building that has a common lobby, maybe they could wait there. Um, you know, so you, again, uh, uh, be more brainstorming with you and your staff on how you think is best to handle that. I don't know, Jenna, any more thoughts on that? I was deferring to your expertise, Lori. <laughs> well, well, that was foolish. <laughs> um, I think we already talked about the screening part. Oh, this is a good question, Laurie. What should the role of the infection control coordinator be in all this? Uh, actually, before we take that question, we do have a, a live question. Uh, Alex? Oh, yeah. This actually came from um, some of my clients um, prior to the call. And dealing with issues for staff uh, wanting to go on vacation, I mean, I... I know I've got a vacation scheduled for not for anymore May <laughs> to Ireland, which has not been dis. <laughs> I can still no I can still go <laughs> as of today, but um, yeah, definitely if your your staff are going on vacation abroad, um, you know, isolating them upon return for two weeks is probably the best bet. Right. At this point, um, and making sure that yeah, I mean, we can't tell our client, our our, you know, our employees not to do something, but they need to understand that there might be some but, ramifications. Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, use your best judgment on that, but yeah, tell them the yeah. the ramifications yeah. if if they do go on vacation. That you know, maybe when they come back, they won't be able to um, come back to actual work for two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, even yeah. if the place isn't currently on a high list, although kind of most things seem to be now, but you know it can happen right, right in the middle of their vacation. You, you just don't know. Our, our friend I, Janet. And is I have to make an addendum to my statement. A, a dear friend of mine, who is no longer my friend, um, <laughs> pointed out that um, John Hopkins has recently done a um, a study or or whatnot that the average. 
positive on average are rating around 40 oh. years old. <laughs> I think that's our same friend, uh, Laurie. <laughs> yeah, no, no, she was our same friend. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what the funniest thing is? Earlier, um, as I was driving, uh, my husband was listening to talk radio because he has nothing better to do than drive himself crazy. Um, there, the the speaker was also referring to the John Hopkins um, study, you know, actually in a in a wider sense you know all the the number of cases and and truly how small the united states um exposure ha is to this point although it is you know we are in in panicking um mode right now but um at that point it was 50. so it's like yeah unfortunately we have to really be careful what we see and what we read and and take it with a grain of salt so yeah 45 I would go with that. I'd rather err on the side of caution. It's, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of that way. I mean, look at colon cancer now. It's not 50 anymore. Well, so we have to remember, too, that we're not sure about the denominators um, because people are, don't necessarily, first of all, we're not doing a good job of testing testing everybody and uh so we you know we might know the numerator but we don't know the denominator with these uh these uh, uh <coughs> rates of uh, infection I, we have a couple more questions here um uh, well one comment janice said uh, we're having problems stealing with patients stealing uh masks yes. and purell right now we've pulled them off the waiting area please absolutely do that mm -hmm. don't leave them out uh, have them available but your receptionist or someone at the front desk you know him. have them mm -hmm. um to hand out if you need them right and as you mentioned even better just rescheduling people if they appear to have an issue and then yeah. christina was wondering if you have a feeling that the state department will issue a statement to halt all elective yeah surgery. that's a big question right now and so, we that's been a big question that's been asked of us from our clients all day long is this is this going yeah. to get to the point where they're going to tell us that we can no longer do surgery and i would say that is not out of the question um it, it, we're in unprecedented um uh, territory right now, and and I fear that if they're going to try to reroute uh, healthcare providers mm -hmm. and resources, they're we're the first people yeah. to really be pulled out. Um, but and with well, the PPE, the, uh, but on the other hand, when you think that. about it, we're also uh, a great source of removing mm -hmm. cases, and, and I'm not mm -hmm. doing this as uh, monetarily. No, no, yep. removing right. cases from the hospital because mm -hmm. they're going to be dealing with a much greater number of mm -hmm. uh, potentially much much greater number of um sick people really sick Ill. people can contagious people you know yep. so it can go either way mm -hmm. and and the thing is if they decide they don't want to do elective you know they take away elective surgeries um are they going to take away are they going to close every restaurant are they going to close yeah. every bodega are they gonna, you know what i mean mm -hmm. to what end is this going to be i i you know we always have a risk of not having a job but I don't think we should get too wrapped up in that possibility because there's nothing we'd be able to do about it should it happen. And don't you think a lot of it has to do with the availability of the PPE? Because if if you've got plenty of it, we you know the centers can keep working. If they if they really really get into crisis mode with that, is where they're going to have to save it for only really serious surgeries. Yeah, and to that end, uh, Christina just asked, do you think there's a possibility that hospitals could reach out to us regarding the use of our PPE due to uh, all the shortages? Uh, very good point, Christina. Mm. 
I, I did want to point out, I, we're, we're getting a lot of, unfortunately, people that are trying to spam us. Uh, that's what we just figured out. So before, if you do want to ask a question, please text me uh, so that I know you're a real person and then hit the call-in button and we'll let you in. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Hate those fake people. I know. <laughs> that's what was happening, all those people that we were well, we kept trying. It, there. It's how you know you made it, John. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, have I gotten all the questions? I'm sorry. I'm trying to scan back. Our, our feed is so. huge here. I think we got and all the not, questions that we have so far. Send it back in again. Um, okay. Uh, continuing. Uh, Laurie, uh, mm-hmm. where were we? Uh, we're talking about social distancing and isation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about the, the screening infection. we've already. Oh, so the, the yeah. infection control coordinator. Yes, mm-hmm. please. Um, he or she is going to be your go-to person. Um, now's the time to really, um, if, if any of you are administrators or nurse managers out there, to really um, back that person's position. Um, uh, when we were doing our pretend practice earlier, um, one of the things that I stated was that uh, it's a good time to get your staff together um, and, you know, the IP can um, coordinate this because they are going to also have to be um, very diligent in, in the surveillance processes of your center. Um, you know, watch out for each other. Make sure that your colleagues are doing hand hygiene. Make sure that we are wearing our PPE appropriately because it's not just going to be protecting that person that's not doing it right. It's going to be protecting the other people that that person comes in contact with, which could be you. Right. So um, I think here's an opportunity for the, um, the IP person to, you know, share that, not just share that responsibility, but also explain, see, this is why. This is the importance of our infection prevention. Um, you know, it's, it's for all of our safety, every single one of us, and the kids at home, and our parents at home, and our, our loved ones at home, and, and the guy next door. You know, it's, you know, so that's their role now. And, and um, hopefully, you know, every IP person, or 99.9 of you, um, have other roles. So that's why now we have to share that responsibility of keeping us all uh, focused and moving forward and, and doing things well. And, Thank you, everyone, for that. By the way, we're getting a lot of nice comments. Uh, and, and Jenna, I, uh, somebody did comment about your policy example. Uh, I, I have to say that uh, you have not gotten any sleep, and your dog is whining outside the studio door right now because he hasn't seen you in so long. But uh, Well, also thank you, Lori, who's my, yes. my, uh, oh, my editor. Um, our, our dear mutual friend, um, Christina, uh, just texted me a question here. Uh, an ASC client has asked if the facility could be used for potential overflow. And uh, so, uh, and that is true. And we, we spoke to somebody yesterday who during Hurricane Sandy was, uh, uh, was actually um, required to open up uh, their center. Uh, was it for a local hospital? Does anybody remember that situation? I, uh, was not part of was the not conversation. was not your conversation. <laughs> I can't remember who it was well, with. I, I, w- I wasn't there. Yeah, I can't remember. But anyway, it was uh, it was an organization. I believe it was in downtown Manhattan that was uh, was required by the state to uh, turn over the facility, basically for I think it was a half a day. Uh, to I, I'm I'm not even sure what it was for, uh, but uh, but yes, the answer uh, is um, uh, it 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 definitely um, 
uh, is a possibility out there. And again, that should be something you should be considering in your, I mean, this is a good time to look back on your emergency preparedness plan um, and, uh, uh, you know, to make sure that you've addressed all of these issues and that it's up to date because surveyors will be looking for it. Donna just texted us and said, yes, um, you know, the, we could be asked to, to uh, hold overflow patients. I, I, I agree. Um, yeah, should yeah, there I mean, we, remember we, all those all those facilities that say, yeah, no, we don't want you part of our emergency emergency preparedness. Uh, that that can change in a heartbeat, and yeah, you're you're going to have to um, comply with your uh, region, state, or you know, town ordinances. So, you know, I don't think we'd have the right to say uh, no. We did have another question, or actually, I don't know if this is a question. Oh, there it is. Should there be a collaborations occurring between uh, hospital infection control preventionists, uh, preventionists, and uh, and the ASCs, and should we be reaching out to each other? That's an interesting question, Laurie. Mm -hmm. I think there is always uh, a, a good. I, I think it's always a good idea to have a collaboration with um, any infection preventionist that you can, especially. In your in your local hospitals, because they're gonna they they can help you. There's a lot of times that something small can come into your center, and it's like, hmm, what should I do? Well, what's the hospital doing? What's yeah. what's the hospital's policy on this? And you know, again, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, and, and having a good relationship with um, other people that uh, are possibly more in the know or better prepared um, is a good thing. I, I think having open communication with uh, local specialists or experts or whatever the word you want to use is great. Um, you know, there is, there is no I in team. And, you know, you're doing it, most of you are doing it for patient safety, whether it's, um, you know, infection prevention or, you know, helping uh, get supplies. You know, I, I, I've been a firm believer of that for too many years, you know, not just in infection, but overall. So, yeah, now definitely it's not a bad idea to introduce yourself and, and um, get to know each other. Uh, we're still taking questions. Uh, um, our listenership is dropping a little bit, so I think people are starting to drop off. We're, but we're still at about 45 people online at the current time. Uh, so email at uh, comments at ASCpodcast.com. Uh, text, uh, you know, within the uh, Podbean app, uh, text me at 585-729-8781, uh, send a carrier pigeon, whatever. Um, Sherry from California for Facilities in California, if you go to the EDD website, it is it outlines waivers to extend disability for sick, quarantined, and caregiving. Thank you very much, uh, Sherry. Um, uh, Laurie, I did want to point, while we're talking about uh, infection control coordinators, so let's just uh, make a shameless uh, um, um, <laughs> plug here for uh, uh, Laurie and I are going to be working on doing an infection preventionist training program. It will be a premium podcast uh, through this, it, kind of uh, as an option for uh, people that, uh, number one, are interested in becoming an infection control coordinator, or number two, have become an infection control coordinator and need to have proof uh, that they're qualified for that. 
And it's an alternative than some of the other options out there. You know, Lori is a CAPE certified or uh, certified person, um, and uh, she is fully qualified, as hopefully everybody has learned by now through this conversation. And uh, I think that'll be a, a wonderful uh, tool that we'll have. Uh, hopefully, Lori and I will have some time to do that, and we'll get that out very quickly. But uh, at no, uh, this is just the greatest example of how important it is uh, to have a good infection control coordinator that understands what's going on, uh, that has been trained specifically in ASC industry. You know, it, um, you know, we there's a lot of other credentials out there, but CAPE is specific to this ind uh, this uh, industry. Um, so just a shameless plug. Keep an eye on that. Um, it's paid for that commercial, by the way. Christina said, as a past uh, volunteer firefighter, I think it's a great idea to reach out to your local agency who responds to your center. In case of an emergency, a collaborative drill may not be a bad idea. Excellent idea. Yeah, great idea. And, and that's in general. That's not even just uh, for mm -hmm. this emergency here. When I was uh, running a, an eye surgery center in Rochester, uh, we, we coordinated with the um, a volunteer ambulance right down the road from us and it was a great exercise for all of us uh, we practiced actually <coughs> taking a patient out the door that's when we learned that like one of our doors was going to be a problem um, and uh, we learned a lot from that so uh, doing a, a real live drill great example uh, Christina yeah, and as a surveyor, make sure you write it up so you get credit. That's right, and, and remember, everyone. Um, you know, you if you're triple H C, you are required to do four drills, one each quarter. Uh, disaster drills. Two of them are internal, two of them are external. Even with the changes in the CMS requirements that came into effect uh, in the third, uh, fourth quarter last year, uh, if you're triple H C, you are still required to do those two drills. I do not think this in the next quarter are going to be a problem. Um, you know, right. between what's really happening here as well as this, and if you need any uh, tools, again. Go to our website for that. And going off of that, too, you can write up actual events such as this right. as a drill. Up to 50% of the drills can be real. Exactly. exactly. Uh, Alex, I know you've been following what's going on. Is there anything to state? Uh, no, nope. The president is 30 minutes late. Oh, okay. okay. But, um, on the other hand, in New York, they just announced that they're going to open a drive-through um, no, a, a drive through covid monitoring testing center in New Rochelle. So well, if you're in yeah, New Rochelle, you have another option for testing. Can mm -hmm. we just talk about this for a, a second is that I know um, what's going on with testing? Is anybody, uh, I, I know Jenna, Not you expressed many. concern this morning that even though there's one and a half million test kits out there, there was like a very limited number of tests that have actually been performed and there's issues in getting tested. So or are there one and a half million? Right. So I, I don't know how many are actually available. I know um, that so far we've done around eleven or 12,000 in our country. I know other countries are doing like that per day. Um, so I'm not sure what's taking so long, but it, I think states are finally starting to really ramp up um, it's the testing. And I think that we're going to probably see quite a few more cases now that there's actually the ability to test. I know there's been a lot of, and again, and look at your, what news you're um, looking at, but there's mm -hmm. been a lot of reporting of people's struggles to figure out how to get tested. So I'm, um, it's probably state by state, but I, I, it seems like in New York at least there's been a lot of confusion and. And um, I can I can speak a little bit to New York because mm -hmm. getting off of that call recently, um, and actually the president did just show up, um, but. For New York, um, what they were saying is go. don't have your staff members, if you're sending them to get tested or really anyone, don't send them to, you know, just the hospital or 
um, unless they really need help at the hospital, um, call your local county department of health. Um, and those are the boots on the ground in New York. Okay. And, and those that are the, those, they're the ones and who will be able to. They just were allotted uh, enough tests to do an additional 5,000 tests. This was as of either, I think this morning, um, on top of, I think they've already done over 7,000 tests. And, and um, I, I, I could be wrong with this assumption, but I believe that they're testing those that have showing signs of symptoms and not just uh, drive-throughs. And, and that will be the issue. If they do people that are just want to be tested, to be tested, that's going to waste a lot of resources. Yeah, New York so. had outlined a couple days ago um, their testing criteria. And again, okay. um, a, a lot of it was location, you know, um, travel related. So I'm not sure if that will change in the coming days. Also, as community spread changes. And, and again, I do want to remind, I know uh, Beth LaBoyer from uh, California is on the line, or is, is, is listening, and I know some of the other state uh, people have been listening. Uh, please uh, feel free to uh, send us uh, any links that you want on our website. Um, we are uh, actually considering, too, uh, the possibility of doing some live podcasts specifically for states. We have the technology. If you wish us to do that for you, we'd be glad to do that. Just reach out uh, through, well, everybody should know how to get in touch with me, but uh, comments at ASCpodcast.com or J-G-O-E-H-L-E at H-Strategies-Strategies.com. Um, all of this information is on the website. We do have another question. It's a, a comment, actually, from Janet. She said a family member. Okay, and she, it's in California. Fremont. Family meant Fremont um, went in for a routine blood test and was asked about symptoms and was told that if they were experiencing any symptoms, they could be swabbed right then. Oh, good. So I guess so, there is some testing. So I, I think they're going to ramp it up. Areas. I mean, if you think about what happened when we had H1N1, everyone mm -hmm. who came in with flu-like symptoms got swabbed for H1N1. So once you know they have the capacity, hopefully, um, hopefully mm -hmm. they will be doing that. Our listenership is uh, dropping. I'm assuming people are like have lives, uh, so they're yeah. heading off. <laughs> it's been a bit um, long. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just uh, we'll try to wrap up a little bit here. We this will not be the end. Uh, you know, we'll probably come back on. We'll try to schedule something. I know it's a Friday, Friday the 13th. By the way, oops, go ahead, Alex. National emergency was just declared. Uh, okay. We saw this coming, but. And we'll try. Yeah, so the question, of course, is what does that mean? I, I know I asked that uh, two minutes before we went on the air, Alex, and <coughs> you'll look into that and we'll, we'll try to add some answers. We'll probably hear from the president, too, as to what that actually means. Laurie, I did want to uh, kind of finish just uh, unless we have more questions and we're monitoring for them. Uh, there's a high chance, as we talked about earlier, that you're going to. Uh, that if you've had a problem in the past with infection control or if somebody uh, complains to the local health department about an infection control issue in your center that you're going to have a sudden visit by the state <laughs> or even possibly from AAAC. And if you, uh, even if that doesn't happen, if you're, ha you're scheduled for a regular survey, you can pretty much bet that, you know, 50% of the time is going to be spent by your survey on infection control. Laurie, do you want to talk a little bit about what you look at uh, when you're on site? I can chime in a little bit too, but you're the infection control uh, expert here. Well, I, I think that sometimes I'm like over picky, but uh, yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you. You Thank would you <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I, I just really look at the processes. I look to see that the staff understand that what they're doing and why they're doing 
follows the, um, the protocol of, say, the manufacturer. Um, when it comes to your cleaning process in your, in your um, decontam and, and sterilization areas, that's important. Watching staff turn over rooms or uh, do environmental cleaning, because environmental cleaning is so important. We don't even think about it. Um, you know, making sure that we're letting our product stay on our surfaces uh, as long enough for it to do the kill. Mm -hmm. um, because what's the point? Why even use it if you're just going to throw the sheet on it? It's not going to. It's not going to protect the next patient. Um, you know, things like that. I I hate picking on um, anesthesia providers, but they are a wonderful source of job security for people like myself. Um, you know, because they're always. We're always in a hurry. We're, uh, you know, every one of us is in a hurry. It doesn't matter what we're doing. But in our in our surgery um, arenas, whether it's hospital, ASC, or, or in the doctor's office, we always want to get get it done and turn it over and go on. Um, so we're we're cutting corners, and we can't cut corners anymore. We can't draw up those meds ahead of time. We can't put them in our draws. You know, um, for the next patient. We can't not label them because you know what? Things happen. Things happen and someone picks up the wrong syringe and administers it and then it's too late when the patient's having a bad reaction. You know, there's things are put in place for safety reasons. I don't always agree with them, but unfortunately, guys, I'm going to call you on it. Um, only because then I'm not doing what's what you're asking me to do, which which is to make sure that you are the best that you can be. Um, so that's kind of what I do on an infection control type thing. And I, you know, I, as surveyors, I believe we all look at the prior survey. We look to see if you followed through with what you said you were going to do. Um, I get a little cranky if I walk into a center that hasn't addressed anything from the prior survey that they said they were going to, then I say, how dedicated are you to your staff and to your patients? Um, you know, and then I might be a little, looking a little closer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so it, I don't like to see infection control, um, you know, not be a, a forefront. Everything is just as important, but infection control can, t can close your doors. Not having a policy is not necessarily going to close your door, but doing things wrong in the infection control arena, you bet you're going to close. So, you know, look at it that way. And um, there's nothing worse than having your center in the paper because of something you did wrong that you could have avoided by doing it right. So that's my speech. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good point. Any other comments from our uh, peanut gallery here? Oh, <laughs> oh. thank you. Oh. So I guess Trump says half a million new tests available next week. I yeah, they're vastly know. increasing the number of tests. Um, they just approved new new tests from a few different companies in the private oh, okay. sector. Good, good. Yeah, and I think they've approved private private sector. Uh, testing facilities, so they don't have to go to the CDC. They can go yeah. to private labs, which well, in that drive-through, uh, sounds well like a great way to yeah. do it, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's how well, Tom, they are. That's yeah. how Tom Hanks got diagnosed. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, you drive up and they just take a little swab, and that's a good way to get you know to get numbers. 
to get accurate numbers. Okay. All right. Um, well, that's it for this episode, this live episode, which I think has uh, gone off very well of the ASC Podcast with John Gale. Again, join us again, and please consider becoming a patron by going to our website at ASCPodcast.com, and please spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues, and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. If you do hit the subscribe button, you'll be informed uh, uh, about uh, being uh, about the, uh, the availability of live podcasts as well as a regular podcast. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy at D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, and Lori Rodericks. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is posted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. Thank you to our sponsor, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. For more information about our services, please visit our website at ah-strategies.com. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring with the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.